0: Our great God and Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity that you have granted us to come into your house to worship you. As we return this evening, we are reminded of the great God that you are, the great I am, who was before time and will always be. We come into your presence reminded that you are a gracious God, That you are patient and long-suffering. That you have displayed your grace through Jesus Christ, whom you sent into this world to die for us on the cross. And that you loved us so that you sent him to die, that we might be reconciled to you. We thank you that your glory, your grace, your mercy, and your goodness is displayed upon the cross in its fullness. We thank you that you care for your church and that you are building up your church throughout the generations. That you provide for your church, not only materially, but you provide it with men who will lead, who will serve, who will preach your word faithfully. And as we think about the history of the church throughout the ages... We see how it's been under persecution. It has faced opposition, and yet it has stood the test of time. And we know this is the case, Lord, because you are the one who builds your church. So many times we are so fixated on our world around us and the problems and the degradation of our societies that we forget that you are seated on your throne, high and lifted up, that our God reigns. And in this we find hope. We are reminded that you are sovereign through history. You are sovereign over our futures. You are sovereign over our present. Oh, great God, we worship you for you are all-wise and all-powerful. We worship you for your decrees. We worship you for your plan of salvation, which you have Brought an eternity past to save a people for yourself. That your name may be high and lifted up across the whole world. We thank you for this local body here at Grace Baptist. We thank you, O oh God, for you, how you have continued to sustain us and how you have blessed us in so many ways. We thank you for how you have used us to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth Through your men who you have raised up through this church, who have gone out as missionaries and have labored faithfully in the ministry of the word. We thank you for the fruit that these men and women have seen. The families have gone out and given their lives for the cause of the gospel. We pray that you would continue to sustain such ministries. We pray that you'd continue to sustain these missionaries as they proclaim your word. May you refill and may you encourage them. May they not get discouraged out on the mission field. With re- this regard, we also remember Ryan Sullivan and his family as they uh, prepare even to go, up, go out to Iraq. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, bless their efforts, even as they plan and uh, raise this, the funds for this particular uh, mission that you have called them to. We pray that you would make your will clearer and clearer to them. We think of the many needs represented in our congregation. We think of those who are unwell, who are hurting in their bodies. We pray that you would touch them, Lord, that you would grant them healing, that you would grant them recovery and rest. We also pray for those who continue to struggle with ongoing illnesses. May you grant them relief and comfort, Lord, as they they live with these difficulties in their bodies. We pray, Lord, that... They may not get discouraged, but that their faith would grow stronger and stronger in you. And that they would look forward to our eternal rest, when we will no longer have pain and suffering, but we will have our glorified bodies. We think of those who are grieving in our midst. Father God, we know many a time we, as those around the loved ones who lose people, we, we can move on, but it's so difficult for them. They continue to feel the loss and absence of those that they have lost. We pray that you would continue to comfort the families in our midst who are grieving. We pray that you would strengthen them and help them to find their hope in you. We think of this upcoming crusade, the go crusade, that we have the opportunity to be a part of as a church. We pray, Lord, that you would use us as we uh, seek to send counselors to the crusade. We pray that you would equip us even through this training session that is coming up. We ask, Lord, that you would send many laborers out and that you would use this crusade to save many people. We know, Lord, that you alone can save, you alone can rescue, you alone can give life. So we ask for your presence at this crusade. We ask that you would work through those who will be preaching the gospel, we pray that the truth would be proclaimed and that those hearing these words would be convicted and would repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We Remember Brother Thomas and Miss Lawanda as they make their way to the Arbinet GA. We ask that you would grant them safety on the roads. We ask also that you would be with all the events that will take place at the GA all the sessions that are taking place, all the business that needs to be undertaken. We ask, Lord, that your grace would be upon them and that you would bless their efforts, that everything would run smoothly and you would protect all the delegates, all the speakers. We also thank you that so many churches are being added to this fellowship and we pray that you would continue to bless this effort and increase it to be a body that seeks to be faithful to your word, seeks to proclaim the gospel to the, to the ends of the earth. And Father God, as we turn now to your word, we ask that you would open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your word. We pray, Lord, that you would sanctify us by your word. Even as Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, we pray that you would bless us and open our eyes and our minds that we may hear your word and we may repent. And believe. pray that you would be with me, that you would strengthen me, that I may not err from the truth, that you would use me to proclaim these wonderful mysteries contained in your word. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. We will be looking this evening at Exodus chapter 40, Exodus chapter 40. Most of you know that I am not Seth, but I thought I'd just mention that. Uh, In case anybody is misunderstood, I am not Seth, though I'd I'd love to be, but I'm not. So we'll be looking at Exodus chapter 40, and this is the final sermon in the series that we have been going through over the last several months. Uh, Indeed, it's been a joy to be a part of the men who have been preaching through the series, and I've personally been blessed by my brothers who have preached uh, on the various passages and also from the studying of the passages that I've been able to preach in this series. And so as we uh, close out, I do want us to take a moment before, before we get into the text today just to review where we've been and some of the major themes that we have looked at uh, in Exodus. As We started out from chapter 1 and have made our way all the way to the end. And though we didn't go chapter by chapter, we did pick out the major themes, uh, the major portions of Scripture in this book Uh, that uh, we thought would be helpful to give us an overall understanding of uh, the book of Exodus. But before we do the overview, I do want us to go ahead and read. So I'll read the entire chapter, Exodus chapter 40. And this is the word of the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And you shall put in it the Ark of the Testimony, and you shall screen the Ark with the veil. And you shall bring in the table and arrange it, and you shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. And you shall put the golden altar for incense before the Ark of the Testimony, and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting." And place between the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar, and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around, and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. Then you shall take the anointing oil, and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it, and consecrate it and all its furniture, so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, and consecrate the altar, so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and its stand, and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and shall wash them with water, and put on Aaron the holy garments. And you shall anoint him and consecrate him, that he may serve me as priest you shall bring his sons you shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father that they may serve me as priests and their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations this moses did according to all that the lord had commanded him so he did in the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases, and set up its frames, and put in its poles, and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle, and put the covering of the tent over it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark, and put the poles on the ark. "'and set the mercy seat above on the ark. "'And he brought the ark into the tabernacle "'and set up the veil of the screen "'and screened the ark of the testimony "'as the Lord had commanded Moses. "'He put the tabernacle in the tent of meeting "'on the north side of the tabernacle, "'outside the veil, "'and arranged the bread on it before the Lord, "'as the Lord had commanded Moses. "'He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place a screen for the door of the tabernacle and he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered On it the burnt offering and the grain offering, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put in it for washing, with which Moses and Aaron and and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed, as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Here ends the reading of God's word. May he add a blessing to it. And so as we come now to chapter 40, we, like I said, we've made our way through Exodus, and we, we saw at the beginning of Exodus, right in chapter 1, uh, we see the, the plight of the Israelites They are in Egypt, there are slaves there, and they're suffering much. And we find the words that God remembered his covenant with Abraham. He raises up uh, Moses to go and deliver his people out of Egypt, and uh, through various signs through various miracles. He shows to the Egyptians as well as the Israelites that Yahweh is the one true God. He shows in a polemic, in a, in, a, in a physical way through the miracles that are performed that Yahweh is the true God. And he destroys, in a sense, the Egyptian gods. And then we see the great act of deliverance as uh, the Israelites have the Passover feast and then they leave Egypt uh, they come to the Red Sea crossing, and the Egyptians pursue them, uh, regretting what they have done. How have they let the Israelites, their entire workforce, leave? And, and as they pursue them, uh, the Israelites continue. As, they, as we see through their journey, they complain against Moses. You should have let us to die in Egypt. Uh, but God, again, shows his mighty power by his servant Moses and parts the Red Sea, and then he engulfs the entire Egyptian army uh, there in the Red Sea, destroying them. And out of that, we see a great uh, song that goes out to Yahweh for his deliverance. And as we have seen throughout Exodus, all these major themes of scripture right here in Exodus, pointing forward to the greater Exodus that we have in Jesus Christ, the great deliverer and the great mediator. And then we see as they, as, they, as the Israelites are being led to go uh, to Mount Sinai to worship, we see how they complain against Moses time and time again, and God is patient with them. God is patient with the Israelites, uh, and then finally at Mount Sinai we have uh, the covenant ceremony uh, before the giving of the law. We looked at the Ten Commandments as a as an overview, uh, but we and we also looked at the institution of uh, the various offices. Uh, we also looked at the priests that were instituted. Um, But we did see how even while Moses was up on the mountain, we had the golden calf incident. And how uh, Aaron led the people. He builds this golden calf and says, here are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. This is uh, what we see happening while Moses is still up on the mountain. And Moses comes down and um, uh, the covenant that they have made, they have broken because they are now worshiping idols. And Moses breaks these two stone tablets uh, and, and the Lord is, is ready to destroy them, but yet Moses goes and mediates for their people. And, uh, and he asks that not only should they be spared, but he should also continue with them. Uh, Moses expresses that if, he, if Yahweh does not continue with them, then they do not want to leave that place. And the Lord listens, and the Lord renews his covenant with his people. And so we've, uh, we've already covered in the previous chapters, uh, even last week, last time when Derek preached, uh, we looked at uh, the building of the tabernacle and the elements that are going to be used. And so where we find ourselves this evening is now the actual uh, building up of the tabernacle, the establishment of the tabernacle. And as we see at the climax of the book, at the end of this chapter, is that the glory of the Lord comes and dwells. And this is a very significant moment, not only in the book of Exodus, but also uh, in the entire redemptive history uh, as we see what God is doing here. And so we're going to see that the Lord dwells with his people. Yes, he dwells with his people, as we will see there, um, by coming down in his glory. But even now, as we look forward in our present day, we know that God dwells with his people. And so as we looked at our text we notice there are a lot of details there god first of all uh, gives the instructions of where each of these elements must be placed so what we saw earlier on was the instructions concerning the various articles or various elements of the tabernacle and where they must uh, what needs to be constructed what needs to be manufactured but what we found in these verses in verses 1 to 8 is where these elements will go it kind of gives us the architecture of the of the tabernacle the lord gives these instructions and he also gives instructions for setting apart uh, various elements, especially the priests. And then we notice that all that the Lord commanded, Moses does exactly that. Uh, that's what we find in verses 16 to 33, is Moses doing what the Lord commanded in the previous verses. And then lastly, we notice the, the glory of the Lord comes down. So I want to look at this passage in basically under two major headings. It's first of all, the, table, the, the tabernacle is erected and then the glory descends. The tabernacle is erected and the glory of the Lord descends upon the tabernacle. So let's look at both of these headings, starting first of all uh, with the first section. Like I have said, what we find in the, in the, verses, uh, the first few verses of our chapter is the Lord giving instructions uh, where each of these elements uh, should be placed. And um, we, we, we see there in verses one through eight that all these instructions are given. Uh, for example, verse 3, he says, And you shall put in, the, put in it the ark of the testimony, and you shall screen the ark with the veil. And you shall bring in, verse 4, the, the, the table and arrange it. And you shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. And so here we have all these details that are given for us exactly where everything must uh, be placed within the tabernacle. But then we see in verses 9 through 15, is the consecration, the setting apart of all these elements that have been placed in the tabernacle. Verse 9, Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture that it may become holy. Now we know that making something holy is to take that which is uh, used for ordinary purposes and to set it apart for a special purpose. And in this case, it's set apart uh, for the worship of Yahweh. Uh, It has been set apart for a particular purpose, and those elements are not to be used for other unholy uh, purposes. As we've seen, even when we looked at the Sabbath, that to do ordinary work on the Sabbath is to profane the Sabbath, because the Sabbath has been given, it has been set apart for the worship of God. And so, too, these elements are set apart uh, in a particular way. And we notice that the instructions that we have here uh, follow from what we saw in chapter 30, chapter 30, verses 22 to 23, to 33. Uh, We we see that the instructions are given of how these elements and how the priests ought to be set apart for the worship of Yahweh. And this is a necessary step because we remember even when Moses was to go up Mount Sinai, uh, he was given particular instructions of how First of all, the people are to consecrate themselves before they come, before the Lord would meet with them and give them the Ten Commandments. And then after the covenant is broken and Moses goes up on his own, he is also told that no animal, no one should come upon the mountain, no one should come to Mount Sinai because the Lord is going to descend with his glory there. And so a necessary preparation to come before a holy God is so important, it is so vital and this is the case with us, that we can't approach a holy God unless we come to, to God through Jesus Christ. Because through the blood of the Lamb, we are cleansed of our sins and we can enter into the presence of God. And so if we are to worship God in the wrong manner, if we, are to, if we, are, if we try to approach God without Jesus Christ, we would be destroyed because we are a sinful people. And so atonement needs to be made, cleansing needs to be uh, made before we can come before God. And we'll see more about that uh, later on in, our, in, in this message. But also what's remarkable here is the priesthood, the setting apart of Aaron and his sons. Uh, as we, we just recently looked at, who was at the forefront of the golden calf incidents? Who was the one who called the people to bring their, golden, uh, bring their gold and melted that and provided a golden calf? That was Aaron, right? That was Aaron. And yet we see that he has been reinstated. He has been called. Him and his sons have been called to serve the tabernacle. They are going to be set apart to be priests. They're going to be the ministers of God's people. And this is, this is remarkable because we see how God is dealing with his people. He is being gracious, Uh, Aaron deserves to be destroyed but yet God is being gracious and just as we saw earlier on that God reveals himself when Moses asks to see his glory uh, when the Lord passes by Moses the name that he reveals of himself as he as he in a sense gives an exposition of his name he revealed himself as the great I am and now he told us there that he is gracious long-suffering with the people of Israel. And this is evident to us here. The very Aaron who should have been destroyed is now going to be set apart for God's worship. And, and you and I can relate to this. If We think about our own past, and we were all sinners before we were saved by grace. And yet God has called us in, and through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been, we have been entered into this royal priesthood. As we see here, the, the priesthood that is described for us in verse 15, it says that, Uh, they they shall be admitted, in verse 15, they shall be admitted to a perpetual priesthood through their generations. And this is an interesting uh, part for us to just pause and reflect upon a little bit more because what it's talking about, we know that these priests and the priesthood into which Aaron and his sons were uh, entered in did not last throughout the generations. It, it, It continued up to a certain point uh, but come, with the coming of Jesus Christ, we know that the veil was torn and there was no longer a need for the priesthood. There was no longer a need for this for this office because Jesus Christ is our high priest. And so we see here that the, the office of the priesthood, the one that has been instituted here, points forward. It points forward to Jesus Christ, but it also points forward uh, to us because we are called the royal priesthood as Peter says there in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 we are a royal priesthood a holy nation quoting as well from Exodus chapter 19 verse 6 when God before God gives the 10 commandments he tells them that if they will obey him if they will keep his commands they will be to him a kingdom of priests They will be a kingdom of priests and so this is what we see here God is talking about the priesthood that is being instituted here but also looking forward to the great high priest and also of the royal, high, uh, the royal priesthood that we as believers uh, continue in that order. And so for us to think about this, uh, we as uh, one of the defining factors of us as uh, Reformed Baptists or Baptists and Congregationalists in general, uh, is we really uphold the priesthood of believers. We believe that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and each one of us are able uh, to serve the Lord, and we are able to discern his will. And, and this kind of aids itself to a congregational form of church government. But on, an, on a practical level, it also makes us think about how we relate with our elders and our pastors. Do we leave a lot of the work that needs to be done, the, the work of preaching the gospel, and I, I'm talking about more in an informal context. Yes, a few are called to, to formally come up and preach from the pulpit and Uh, and to do the work of full-time ministry. And yet we are all called to make disciples. We are all called to preach the gospel. We are all called to exercise our gifts within the church. We are to remember that we uh, are part of the church and we are all indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so there is a work for us all to do. And therefore we ought not to be passive in the gospel ministry, uh, it might not look the same for each and every one of us. And, and again, this church is such an encouragement because I would say generally we all pull our weight. Uh, each person has their gifts and they have ways of serving and looking out for others and looking out how they can serve uh, with their own gifts. For example, this idea of a nursery. Uh, while we were all thinking about doing uh, the Go Tell Crusade, while well, somebody had the idea. What, what are the children going to do? They're not going to the crusade. Who's going to take care of the kids? That's a great example. We we are taking the initiative. It's not coming from top down, but we are all thinking about how we can serve the Lord uh, with with the gifts that the Lord has blessed us with. But back to our text, we we also want to take note of the time when this is taking place. We are told twice here that this takes place on the first month in the second year, on the first day of the month. And, And the this is significant for two reasons. So this is the beginning of a new year, and so this is a year since uh, their deliverance. We know that the Passover, when the Israelites left Egypt, uh, was a year ago, and now we we have a year later in the second year, which, in the second year rather. We see that at the beginning of this year. Um, that the tabernacle is now being erected. And this is no mistake. This is no mistake that it's taking place at this time. And we see here, looking to the sovereignty of God, how even though there were various delays along the way and, and the Israelites disobeyed God and there seemed to be speed bumps along the way, as you, might, as you might think, but God was in control all along the way. That This particular day was set apart uh, for the tabernacle to be erected but it also throws us back, makes us think back to the creation ordinance. And uh, I say this for a number of reasons, one of which is obviously here we have this taking place at the beginning of a year, but we'll also notice a few other points later on uh, in our text, because what is happening here is very significant. As we see at the end of our chapter, the glory of the Lord comes down, and this is a very significant moment within redemptive history. Uh, It is as if as it were, there's a recreation taking place. And so it's, it's supposed to help us to look back to the Genesis account, and we will go back there uh, in, in just a moment. And so now we come to verses 16 to 33, as we see Moses erecting the temple. Moses erects the temple. And I don't know if you, if you noticed this as I was reading, in particular those verses, how many times we get the words repeated. Moses did this and this as the Lord commanded, as the Lord commanded, starting in verse 19. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded. And they see the same in verse 21, 23, 25, 27, and 29. We see it through our passage seven times. But we also notice, and and, and beginning With verse 16, we see that Moses did this according to all that the Lord commanded him. So he did. We see that even in this, Moses was obedient. And and we could do a study comparing all that the Lord commanded just from this passage and all that was actually done by Moses. He followed what the Lord commanded to the T. And looking back to the previous verses that I've already quoted, previous chapters, uh, we see that what is taking place here is as the Lord had commanded but again, pointing us back to the creation ordinance, we have the seven sections, and that again, I don't believe is a mistake, that we get the seven sections here pointing back to the seven days of creation. And what's important to kind of take all of these factors together that I've mentioned here, how we have to look back to creation? Notice the last line here in verse 33. We find the words, "So Moses finished the work." "So Moses." finish the work, which takes us back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2, when the Lord finished all his work and he rested on the seventh day. And so we are to see here what is happening is very significant. And as we come to our second portion of of this message, as we look at the verses uh, 34 to the end of the chapter, uh, it is significant to notice that what is happening here is that the Lord is coming to dwell with his people. Prior to this, we only get this in the Garden of Eden. When God walked with Adam and Eve, he walks in the garden, he dwells with Adam and Eve. But they are banished out of the garden. And yes, the Lord speaks uh, to the patriarchs. He appears uh, to them, he speaks to them. But we don't get what we have here. We don't get the Lord coming and dwelling with his people. So we have a very significant moment in redemptive history in the unfolding of the the grand narrative of Scripture, as it were. So what we get in verse 34 is a theophany, and and one theologian describes a theophany as tangible instances of divine self-revelation tangible instances of divine self-revelation. And that's, that's helpful for us to see because we know that God is a spirit and he doesn't have a body like man. God is a spirit and he doesn't have a body like man. And yet he uses theophanies like we have here the glory cloud. We have the fire uh, that, that was there at night. We also have the burning bush uh, that we saw earlier on at the call of Moses. And so God displaying his character, his attributes through these various Theophanies, revealing his nature through these theophanies. And this is what we, what we see here, is that this cloud was a token of God's presence to be seen day and night by all of Israel. And, and never again should they ask the question, is the Lord among us or not? Because he's given them, he's given them a physical sign of his presence, his favor, he is with them, he is with his people. And so what we have here is a a return to the creation state, to the pre-fall state. God has come and he is dwelling with his people. Yes, there is still that separation because Moses cannot enter into the tabernacle when it's filled with a cloud. But the Lord is present in a very real sense, in a special way. But as we survey the history of Israel, we know that... uh, Israel was unfaithful. They continued in the pattern that we have already seen in Exodus and it continues throughout uh, the history of Israel. They are unfaithful and they do receive punishment uh, for their unfaithfulness. But what we we do see in these verses is that it's a fulfillment of what God had promised when he gives the instructions back in chapter 25 of Exodus, Exodus chapter 25 and verse 8. They are told that they... The Lord says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell with them. And so he has fulfilled what he had said. Though they have been disobedient, he is gracious to give them his presence in this way. And so, what I want to do for for the next few moments is just to do a quick sweep throughout redemptive history, looking at this doctrine of the glory of the Lord and how he dwells with his people. We've already seen. Uh, that God walked among his people, or God walked with Adam and Eve back in Genesis, and how God was with them, and, and they spoke with him, in a sense. But after the fall, they are banished, and that is the creation, the state of affairs at creation. But we have the glory of the Lord coming down here in Exodus after, after the tabernacle has been erected. Then we know that when Solomon completes uh, the construction of the temple. That we have a similar accounting of this in First Kings chapter eight, verses ten through eleven, and also in Second Chronicles seven, verse two. That as the as the as the ark of the covenant is brought into the temple, so too there we see the glory of the Lord fills the temple in the same manner. But like we said, uh, Israel is is disobedient. They do not. They are not faithful to the Lord, and the Lord punishes them, ultimately them being sent out into exile, because they do not heed the words of the prophets. The prophets rise up and call the people to repentance, and they do not heed the words of the prophets of the Lord. And so ultimately in Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 18, we see the glory of the Lord departing his temple, this vision, the glory of the temple departs from uh, the temple and showing that the presence of the Lord has left for their disobedience, he has left them. But then we, we go forward in Ezekiel chapter 43, and I want to read these verses, Ezekiel chapter 43, verses 1 through 5. It's a significant, significant, significant passage of Scripture. Then he led me to the gate, the gate facing east, and behold, the glory of God, the, the glory of the God of Israel, was coming from the east. And the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. And the vision I saw was just like the vision that I had seen when he came to destroy the city. And just like the vision that I had seen by the Kibar Canal, and I fell on my face as the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple." And so when Ezekiel speaks to the people, the, uh, the people in exile, they, they perceive that when they return, they will see that the, the, the glory of the Lord shall return to his temple. But this is not the case. When they return and the temple is uh, built for the second time, we do not find such an accounting. Uh, if we were to look at Nehemiah chapter 12 and verse 44, we see that after the temple is uh, is built, and we, they have a ceremony, the glory of the Lord does not fill the temple at that time, which is significant. And so the words that we find here, uh, in what well, we saw in Ezekiel chapter 43, have not been fulfilled at the building of the second temple. But we do know that these words are fulfilled at the coming of Jesus Christ. That when Jesus Christ comes, he is the glory of the of Yahweh himself. We find the words in John chapter 1, and, and, and we better turn there as well. I think it's uh, very important for us to see this ourselves. In John chapter 1, we see that the, John introduces Jesus as tabernac, tabernacling with his people, John chapter 1 and verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word used there in the Greek is tabernacled, or translated from the Greek is tabernacled, which is significant because we see that what, we, what we find in Exodus chapter 40. And then we see in Ezekiel how the glory of the Lord departs and Ezekiel sees this vision of the glory one day coming again. We see that here in John chapter 1, that the glory of the Lord in the incarnate Son, Jesus Christ, that he was the glory of of the Lord. And so reading John chapter 1, verse 14, continuing, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from him, his fullness we have all received, grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Now, we know Jesus Christ is very God of very God, and he existed even before his incarnation. And so, obviously, he has the glory of the Father. And yet, when he became man, we know that he, he took on the human body. He, he humbled himself to take on this fleshly body. And yet, we, we find that when, when the angels come and proclaim that uh, he he's going to be born to Mary, they say that his name is to be Emmanuel because God, He is God with us. He comes and dwells with His people. So Jesus Christ, as He as He as He walks in in this world, is the glory of God walking on this earth. He takes on the human body, yes, but He is He is still the manifest glory of the Father, and we see that even at at, at the Transfiguration when He goes up on the mountain and and He's displayed in his glory for his disciples to see. But ultimately, he is glorified after his resurrection. He is raised up for the world to see that this is God's Messiah. And there is no doubt about it at that point. But we know that we have received the Holy Spirit. And if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, we are called his temple, his temple. We are his temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells. And so those who believe in Jesus Christ receive the Holy Spirit, the promised comforter, the counselor who comes and dwells within us. We are his temple. Isn't that amazing, brothers and sisters? We are his temple as we've been looking, about, looking at his glory in Exodus chapter 40 and how he comes down. We look to Jesus and how he came. And finally, we see how the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And so those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We see here that our God is a personal God. He is not one who wants to be distant from us, who wants to be far away from us, but rather he comes to dwell in our midst. And we see in John chapter 17, as Jesus is praying in this high priestly prayer, we see that again, he speaks about his glory. And and if we had time, I would read several verses in this portion of scripture. But we, we see Jesus here in John chapter 17 and verse 10. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. And Jesus, again, verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So we see here that the glory that the Son has was given by the Father. This does not make him any less God, but we see that he he is begotten of the Father, and he is very God of very God, but the, the glory that is given to him, the glory that he has on this earth was given to him by the Father. And then he prays in this high priestly prayer that they may behold his disciples. And, and you notice there in verse 20, he says, I'm not asking only for these 12, but I'm asking for those who will believe in me in the future, that they may behold my glory and I would really commend to you a book by John Owen, The Glory of Christ. It is not a light bedtime read, but it would be very edifying to your soul. I would really encourage you to, to take that book and just read it slowly as we reflect upon it. Because in that book, he really makes a case, he really makes an argument that we, uh, we do not pursue seeking to see the glory of Christ fervently. And, and he speaks to how we ought to do this. He says... What we find in these verses in John chapter 17, verse 24, yes, it speaks to when we will see him face to face in heaven, we'll see his glory, but that even now we can behold his glory by faith. As we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, that for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been known fully. And so as, as, as Christians, again, Owen goes on to say, the constant contemplation of the glory of Christ will give us rest, satisfaction, and complacency to the souls of those who are exercised therein, those who are in Christ, those who by faith seek to live in fellowship and communion with him, will receive these blessings, will receive these gifts, just as Jesus prayed for us in his high priestly prayer. But not only do we see that Jesus was the glory of God and he dwelt on this earth and he came and tabernacled with us, ushering in a new era. We receive the Holy Spirit. We are his chosen people. But finally, we look forward to the new creation. We look forward to the consummation where the dwelling place of God is with man. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1. Revelation chapter 21 verse 1. And God himself will be with them as their God. This is our future hope, brothers and sisters. This is what we're looking forward to. And this is what we see Exodus 40 pointing us forward to. So as we survey this theme, as we've surveyed this theme of the glory of God and and how God dwells with his people Our God is a personal God. He is Emmanuel. I want you to know, I want to ask you this evening, is this the God you know? Is this the God you walk with daily? Do you enjoy sweet fellowship with him? Do you care for this temple of the Holy Spirit? How are you doing that? How are you caring for this temple that the Lord has given you within which the Holy Spirit dwells do you grieve the Holy Spirit so I want to close with this quote from Matthew Henry this is what he says so dazzling was the light and so dreadful the fire that Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation till the splendor was abated but what Moses could not do, our Lord Jesus has done, whom God caused to draw near, and who has invited us to come boldly, even to the mercy seat, mercy seat, being taught by the Holy Spirit to follow the example of Christ, as well as to depend upon him, to attend his ordinances, and to obey his precepts. We shall be kept from losing our way and be led in the midst of the paths of judgment till we come to heaven, the habitation of his holiness. May God so help us. Let us pray. Our dear God and Father in heaven, We worship you for you are a thrice holy God. Our finite and feeble minds cannot comprehend some of these great truths. But you are so rich in your grace and mercy that you have revealed them to us. Not only do we have the truths of the history past, but we have a glorious hope have an eternity to look forward to. We look forward to the holy city where there will be no need for a sun, Because you, our God, will be our light. Help us, Lord, as we continue in this world. May you use us to shine forth your glory. May you help us to glorify you in all that we do. May the earth Be filled with your glory. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.